Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at Coastline Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. in this series. We've entitled it Family Vibes. It's really just sort of a a refreshment on our values and why we do what we do. Last week, we um, opened up the scriptures and we looked at the very beginning of Colossians. We're using the book of Colossians in the Bible as our guide. And we looked at two um, kind of opening um, moments where Paul uh, praises the church, and he, he encourages them and thanks them for their faith in Christ and their love for one another. And so we talked about that last week, about moving from the big room to the living room, about finding places to love one another in small groups and so on. We'll actually talk about small groups again a little bit next week, but, um, but today I want to pick up, we're going to actually stay in chapter one, there's so much here. Um, And I want to pick up in week number two. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see Paul's fatherly heart. He loves this young church, this this tender church that's in a a formation time. He loves this church. And and so he prays for them in a fatherly way. And I, I just love the way that he does this because he's saying, here's what I'm praying for you. That's kind of a beautiful thing, isn't it? Sometimes we tell people, I'm praying for you. But Paul says, here's what I'm praying for you. And the church is encouraged by hearing what Paul is praying for them. And we're going to be encouraged today because we're going to look at his father's heart. You know, and as a parent myself, and many of you are parents, grandparents, even great-grandparents in the house. And, and as a parent myself, there's really nothing that I want more for my kids than for them to know God. In fact, that's our topic today, knowing God. And there's nothing I want more for them than to know God, to not just know about him, because the Bible says that even the fallen angels, the demons, they know about him and they tremble. But there's a difference between knowing about him and truly knowing God. Knowing him in a way where his life is flowing through your life, where, where you have the evidence of the work of your God in your life. And so I pray that for my children, but also we pray that as a church for all of you who are a part of this great place. And maybe you've come as a guest today. We want you to know that we've been praying for you as well, that you would truly know God. You know, I think it's important to, to, to note that we are a church of next steps, and we're always trying to help people take their next step in their spiritual journey. And, and the way we do this is by making Jesus famous, by showing who Jesus really is. And so today is a day where I hope Jesus comes alive for you, for, for all of us, in a fresh way. But because we're a church of next steps, we're always suggesting that there's a next step for you as a believer. If you've been serving the Lord a long time, maybe you're brand new. But one thing we know is that there's a first step on the spiritual journey. And that first intentional step is to know God through Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. And um, the prayer that Paul prays for them out of his fatherly heart is a prayer that we echo for each one of you. So I'm going to invite you now to look at it uh, with me. We're talking about knowing God. So out of last week, Paul says, I want to commend you for your faith in Christ and your love for all the people. And then he picks it up with his prayer. For this reason, 
Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So he's saying, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is active in helping you know God, to know his will, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And what a beautiful prayer. And being filled with the knowledge of his will is a wonderful thing because it's a starting point. You know, we live in a world where we need to understand direction and clarity. And Paul prays... Um, praise this way in order for them to understand what the future can hold for them. Because there's so much more that comes out of truly knowing God. And when you know God, then other things become alive for you. And Paul continues in his prayer for them, and he tells them, here's what happens once you are filled with the knowledge of his will. Once you know God, here's what happens to you. So when you're filled with the knowledge of God's will, I'll give you a few thoughts. When you're filled with the knowledge of God's will, he helps you. That's good news. He helps you. He's there for you. He supports you. When you understand who it is that you're actually coming to, he begins to help you. He helps you. In fact, Paul continues his prayer here, and he says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. This is his prayer. It continues. You see, I've been here for 21 years. My 21st anniversary was September the 1st. And, and over those 21 years, I've seen the Lord do a lot of good things. I've watched fruit in people's lives. And some of you say, haha, Andy, you're such a pup. I've been here for 40 years. I know there's someone in here who's been here for over 60 years, 70 years. Clint, how long have you been here? 80 years. Come on. That's amazing. Over 80 years. All right, so maybe I should have Clint come and preach the sermon instead of me. But the point is this. Over those years that I've been here, and Clint, you can testify as well, and many of you can. Over those years, we've seen development. We've seen fruit. We've seen people's lives transform. We've seen hope come alive for people. We've seen people delivered of addictions. We've seen people freed. We've seen people come into joy to recover their lives, to, to rebuild their families and their marriages. We've seen God do incredible, creative miracles in people's lives that were shattered and broken and then rebuilt by his goodness. And so the truth is, is when we function in the knowledge of his will, when we function in the knowledge of God, fruit begins to grow. And I'm here to testify that over the years, this is so true. God brings it all together. God fixes what's broken. God heals what's been damaged. And this is our God's good work in our lives. We need to know about that. Paul continues because he doesn't just help you. He says in the next part, he empowers you. Listen to this. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Has there ever been a time where we needed great endurance and patience more like today? I don't know if there's ever been a time, and I'm sure every generation has said that. Well, we've seen the generations before. We can read the history books, and we need endurance and patience now. Amen? We do in our complex world, in our, in, our, in our challenged and nuanced way of looking at life. 
We need great endurance and patience now. And it's something that I, I don't know if it's a generational thing. I don't know if it's because of the complexity of life and social media and uh, AI. There's another one, right? All of these things. But it feels as though it's more complex than ever. And what I've seen in society is a lack of resilience in the face of that. People are literally crumbling. But I want you to know, God wants to help you. He also wants to empower you with endurance and patience. You can do it. You can make it because your God is with you. You're filled with the knowledge of his will. And it gives you a path to walk. So he helps you. He empowers you. And the third thing I'll say in regard to being filled with the knowledge of his will is that he gives you joy and a future. Look, let's just continue to read Paul's prayer. I mean, like, when he prays, he prays, okay? So he's still praying, and now we're in verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So he's saying, listen, there's a joy and a thanksgiving that wells up inside of you that is untouched by life's challenge and circumstance because it's, it lives somewhere else. It's joy that's not in this life or in the midst of this challenge. It's joy set for me in heaven. It's in the kingdom of light. And although I'm a part of the kingdom of God now, someday I will see it fully when I get to heaven. And that's a joy that nobody can take away from me. Amen? And so that's the security that we have, joy and a future. Joy today and joy because of what lies ahead, an inheritance in God's kingdom. I'm feeling pretty good about this sermon already. How are you feeling? <laughs> Praise the Lord. I wasn't sure, but, I, but now I'm reading it. It's really good. Actually, it's God's word. That's why it's so good. So, you know, the reason why this, this concept and this, the reason why this message is so important, the reason why knowing God is such a value of ours, did you know that it's one of our, our four main focuses as a church? Know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And, and the reason why is because life is so confusing. Life is difficult. It's full of decisions. And, and over and over again, friends, we stand at a crossroads and we have to make a decision. We can no longer travel the road that we're on. Something has to change. I've got to go this way, or I've got to go that way. And the truth is, by coming today and hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus, you have come again to a very purposeful crossroad that Jesus always brings us to. And that is simply, what do you think of me? Jesus is saying, who do you think I am? In fact, here's the way he said it to his disciples. He said, who do you say that I am? In other words, each one of us has to wrestle. Each generation has to wrestle, wrestle with this reality that Jesus is asking us this same question, and we have to answer for ourselves. Who do we say that he is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Here's what Christianity asserts. Christianity actually asserts that Jesus is God. That's a big statement. Jesus is God. And to truly know God, you must know him through Jesus. In fact, Jesus' own words are that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. So the access point to God is Jesus. That's what Christianity asserts. Christianity also asserts that Jesus is the beginning and the end. 
They use the Greek words, alpha, omega. Christianity asserts that he is supreme and that he is sovereign. He does what he wants and he rules over it all. Christianity asserts that Jesus is God incarnate. In other words, he came in a human form so that we might know who God really is. Christianity also asserts that Jesus is the giver of life, our friend, and our savior. And here's the thing. Every one of us stands alone at the crossroads that Christianity brings us to, and we must choose. Who do you say that I am? That's the question that Jesus asks. You know, some, some would say that he's a good person. Some would say that he's crazy. Modern Jews would say that he was righteous but misunderstood. And some might say that he was a heretic or a madman. The Muslims would say that he's a great prophet whom Christians wrongly elevate and call him God. Current culture would tell us that he's a historical figure for sure, but he's irrelevant to my life. And potentially they would say about many of those who follow him, they are super annoying. That's what modern culture would say. It's not politically correct to promote him. Why? Because he excludes others' viewpoint. Why? Because he says that he is the only way. And so therefore, the question still remains, who do you say that Jesus is? If you say, man, I'm having a little trouble now that you put it like that. I mean, like, I get it. I, I understand some of what you're saying. I also understand the rhetoric and the push from culture. I'm not quite sure. Listen, if you're having trouble seeing Jesus as God, it's not a new challenge. It's been the issue from the beginning. In fact, this ancient church, this Colossian church, suffered with the same thing. And way back in ancient history, they were experiencing this same pressure, this challenge, standing at the crossroads. On one side, they were infiltrated by an early form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. And it was this, this form of cult-like behavior that, that said there's special knowledge out there and only some have it and it's given by angels and there's different levels of angels and Jesus is an angel kind of in the middle somewhere. And so they lower Christ down. On the other side, there's the pressure in the, on this church from the Jews who are saying, listen, if you want to really be a Christian, then you have a Jewish Messiah. Therefore, you must do all the Jewish stuff and you must follow all the rituals, including <clears throat> circumcision. And so they're feeling pressure on both sides. It's coming at them in both directions. And so Paul writes to them. And the reason why this letter was written was to answer this question, who is Jesus? And Paul asserts that Jesus is God. And he also says he's the only one you need. And so now I want to take you on a journey through Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to look at some of the verses. And as we do, we're going to reflect on the knowing of God. Because the, the knowing of God really brings us into solid truth where we can stand. And so knowing God starts by understanding who Jesus is. So who is he? Here's how Paul says it in Colossians chapter 1. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. I want you to notice how many times in this passage Paul says all, okay? For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were created by him and for him. 
He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is all. All, all, all. It says it one, two, three, four, five times. Do you think Paul has a point here? Whatever you need, Jesus is it. Can I get an amen today? Whatever you need, Jesus is what you need. So why do we, as Christian church, preach Jesus? I'll tell you why. Paul makes it very plain to the, plain to the Colossians in verse 18. And he, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So then everything, he might have the supremacy. He's the head. That's why we talk about Jesus. Listen, you're in a place where Jesus is the authority. You're in a place where Jesus is the guest of honor. You're in a place where Jesus is the focus because he has the supremacy and God's people said, amen. Amen. God's people said, amen. It's truth. It's truth, friends. So why do we need only Jesus? I mean, how about a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of this and a little bit of that? Let me tell you why. When it comes to knowing God, you only need Jesus. Look at what chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 says. I'm skipping ahead because I like it so much. Okay? For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Amen? All the fullness of deity. You don't need another deity. <laughs> There's nothing else that you need. Do you understand that the claim of Scripture and the claim of Christianity is that Jesus is all that you need. Jesus is everything. He's enough. And, and this is why we don't need anything else. In other words, if you read Paul's writings here clearly, if you want to know God, just simply look at Jesus. Just simply look at Jesus. You see, knowing God also invites us to experience the redemption of Jesus. His redemption. That comes to us in such a beautiful form. You see, the truth is, is the Bible is very clear that sin is real. And sometimes we look at sin and go, oh man, there goes the preacher. He's going there, fire and brimstone. Just understand this. Sin is just a part of our lives. Sin is something that we experience on a regular basis. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm fallen. I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect and so therefore, when I sin, it's actually just the reality that I am missing the mark. In fact, that's where the word comes from. It's a archery term. And when you shoot and you miss the target, you have sinned. And so Paul takes that concept and says, all of us have sinned. That's what Romans teaches us. Every one of us. There's not one of us that hasn't sinned. And so, therefore, we, we have a problem because the Bible tells us that the, the, the cost of that sin is death. The cost of missing the mark is death. Why? Because our God is perfect and he requires perfection. So now what? What do we do now? Because we're stuck. We, we mess up and God wants us to be perfect? No. God requires perfection. But God also provides perfection. Let's read about it. 
Knowing God invites us to experience the redemption of Jesus. Verse 13 and 14 may be the most important verses today because this is where the rubber meets the road. It says here, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. That's good news, friends. He does the work. He takes you from darkness into the kingdom of light, in the kingdom of the son that he loves. You see, the truth is sin must be dealt with, but we are powerless to fix it. It requires our death. And so Jesus says, I will pay for it. See, the interesting thing is, is we live in a culture that demands atonement. It's called cancel culture. And cancel culture is a cry for atonement. And it says, somebody's got to pay. But as a Christian, I can stand here and say, absolutely. And he did. His name is Jesus. Atonement has happened. Cancel culture is canceled. And Jesus has saved us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for that truth, friends. That's a truth for your life. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. Amen? Oh, this verse, I I pause at it every time I read it. Every time I reflect on it, I want to share it with you. It's from 2 Corinthians 5. It fits so beautifully in with what we're talking about. And here's what it says. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an exchange. Perfection for my imperfection. What I deserve fell on him. He was made sin for me that I might be righteous. That is a beautiful way to see the heart of God. He loves you. He loves you. He doesn't leave you to your own devices. He doesn't leave you to your own demise. He loves you and he provides for you in his son, Jesus. So knowing God invites us to experience redemption, knowing God offers us reconciliation through Christ. Now, reconciliation is a word that's now been used and in in many ways, it's connected even to political means and ends. But I want you to understand what the scriptures mean by reconciliation. Reconciliation means that two parties were separated and they have been brought together. God is here. We are here. And Christ said, God wants to be with you. And through my sacrifice, you will be one once again. That's why the knowing of God is determinant on the work of Jesus and not on your own work. And so, reconciliation. Listen to how Paul says it. For God was pleased. God wanted it. God wants you to be reconciled to him. God was pleased to have all the fullness, all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Jesus, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Reconciliation is possible because of Jesus. You might be asking, why do I need reconciliation? What did I do that broke my relationship with God? Listen, the truth is, life is broken. And we need healing. We're broken mentally, 
physically. We're broken sexually. We're a broken world. And we need something to reclaim and heal. And that's what Jesus does. That's why he gets the supremacy. You might be asking, why do I need to be reconciled? Well, here's what Paul said in verses 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. He's talking about their past. And maybe some of you feel like, man, I'm actually there right now. But hear good news. But now, he, speaking of Jesus, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What is this telling me? The sacrifice of Jesus creates peace between me and God. The sacrifice of Jesus brings peace. Some of you say, well, Andy, I feel like I'm drinking out of a fire hose today. This is a lot to take in. I'm curious, but I'm not quite sure where to land. Listen, can I just remind you that on the 26th, we start Alpha. What an incredible place to explore this further. What an incredible place to ask your questions. All questions are welcome. To, to learn, to hear, to exchange, to be in small group, to, to just talk and see the videos and reflect on the content, kind of slow it back down and look at this idea over many, many weeks. I want to invite you to come. Maybe that's where you are. Try Alpha. Starts on the 26th. But again, I just want to remind you where we started it. We said Christianity brings us to a crossroads. And all of us have now traveled the same path through the scripture to the crossroads. And I'll remind you once again what Jesus asks. Who do you say I am? It's really quite personal. Every one of us stands there alone. We make our decision. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? And I want to encourage you, if you don't know him, choose redemption. Choose reconciliation. Choose Jesus. In fact, I, I feel a little bit like Apostle Paul today, although I think I'm taller. I think he's smarter. A little bit like Apostle Paul, because you know, when he was talking to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, he pleads with them, be reconciled to God. You can hear it in his words, be reconciled to God. And I feel that same pleading in my heart today. If you're here and you haven't experienced the redemption of Jesus, the reconciliation that he provides between you and God, be reconciled to God. Choose Jesus today. Let his life feel you. Maybe today you can say, okay, I, I hear what you say. I'm okay to agree with what the Bible says. Can you receive Jesus? Can you receive his work for you, his work of redemption, his work of healing, his work of restoration? I want to take just a moment. I want us to pray together, church. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? If you're here today and you say, you know, I don't, I don't have evidence in my life of, of the knowing of God. Like I, I don't have a, a true living relationship with God. I'm not seeing evidence of his work in my life. I, I, I don't have that. And today I want that. I want you to know that you can pray with me right now. And you can receive that first step we talked about, that beginning of the knowing of God through Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to pray with me. Listen, just, just share these words with the Lord. Just repeat after me, Jesus, take my life. Be my Lord and Savior. 
Jesus, I choose you as my God. I call on your great name. And I ask you to fill me with the knowledge of your will. In Jesus' name. And just continuing to pray for a moment. I know there are others here. And this, I want you to hear me, church. There are others of us that are just really suffering with Jesus deficit disorder. Jesus has gotten way too small in our thinking. We're not seeing the vastness, the power, the majesty and the supremacy of our God. We're not functioning in the awe of that. We're not living compelled by that. We make decisions based on many other factors. We live our lives as though God may be real but uninvolved. Listen, I believe many of us today need a fresh revelation on how big our God is, how supreme Jesus is, how powerful he is to save, how transforming his work can be in our lives. Are you here today and you say, Andy, yeah, that's me. I'm here today and I know that what I need is a bigger view of Jesus. I need to see him in his full capacity, in my circumstance, in my need, in my world, and in my worldview. Jesus invites you to let him take his place on the throne and for you to see him in all of his glory and majesty today. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray I pray a thankful prayer that for each of us, you have brought us once again to those crossroads. And you encourage us through the scriptures to continue in our faith, firm, immovable, steadfast. And so God, we say, come, give us a fresh revelation of how big you really are, how supreme you really are, how powerful you really are, how beautiful your redemption truly is, how much you have loved us, how great is your sacrifice, how selfless was your life, and how perfectly you image God to us. Jesus, we receive you, King and Savior, and we together collectively answer, who do we say that you are? You are all in all. You are God most high. You are Savior and sovereign. You are Lord and you are friend. God, we once again today make the decision that when we leave this place, we will leave with you in the knowledge of you, in the growing knowing of you. And may that fuel our week in a beautiful and fresh way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.